With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. With AT&T in-car Wi-Fi, elevate your adventure by transforming your vehicle into a reliable Wi-Fi hotspot. Connect up to 10 devices up to 50 feet away from your vehicle, making it ideal for camping and road trips. Don't miss out on the fun. Embark on your next adventure today. Visit att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi to check if you're eligible for a free trial. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Hi, hello. This is Let's Talk About Myths, baby. And I am that woman, Liv. I'm here today with a very special episode. She's a character you all have requested of me a great, great many times, but I never felt I had the source material to really do her justice. Because, of course, this woman isn't mythological at all. Sappho was a living, breathing woman in the ancient world. A woman on the island of Lesbos in the 5th century BC, before even the great tragedians, possibly even a short hundred years or so, probably 200, after Homer himself. Sappho was the queen of Greek poetry, and she was absolutely beloved in the ancient world. Sweet Bitter is a new podcast devoted to Sappho herself and her poetry, and in today's episode I spoke with hosts Elise and Ellie. I'll also be appearing on their podcast this coming Thursday where I've told these amazing ladies all about Aphrodite, one of Sappho's main muses. So make sure you subscribe to them to listen to that episode. But first, Sappho, Sappho, Sappho. Before we dive into this discussion, though, I just want to mention that when I recorded this episode, I wasn't familiar with the story of Eos that I told you last week, but I 
told it to you last week because of Elise's mention of it in this episode you're about to hear, so you can thank her for that. And excuse past me for saying I didn't know it. And a quick note of apology on the quality of the audio. I am still figuring out how to properly talk to other people for this podcast. We'll get there. Episode 105, Poetess of the Ancient World, Sappho, with Elise and Ellie of the Sweet Bitter Podcast. I am here today with you two from the Sweet Bitter Podcast. So Elise and Ellie, thank you for coming on today. Thank you so much for having us. We are so excited to be here. Yes. So why don't we start by you guys tell me about your podcast, which is how I found you and sort of the main reason we're chatting. Yes, um, I will start. So we are, uh, I am one of the hosts of Sweet Bitter, which is a podcast all about Sappho. Elise is our resident poet and has done all kinds of research. So if you want to ask any question about Sappho that anyone would ever know, Elise can answer it. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Sorry. Should I not have oversold that? Elise, right, we'll see, Elise we'll can see. answer many questions about Sappho. <laughs> like, we'll see if there's one she can't. Um, and Lisa and I, who's my other co-host, are there as the bridge between the layman to learn a bit more about Sappho, who we really don't learn enough about in history and who we should. So that's why we put together the podcast. Yep. Well, and that's exactly why I have you on because I get asked about Sappho (laughs) all the time. And like I did my degree in classics and and I never learned much beyond, you know, her name. She was a poet. Um, And so I, I haven't been able to dig into too much research for my show. And then I found yours and was like, well, this means I don't have to do the research because I will just have you guys on to tell me all about her. <laughs> That's great. Wow. What I do you get it. asked about Sappho? Just basically to do an episode on her. I don't know if it's just out of love of ancient Greece or if if it's mm-hmm. almost like a misconstruing of her thinking that she's mythological when of course she is very real um but also every year i spend or i try to spend the month of june doing um stories centered on lgbtqia characters and mythology so i'm always Mm -hmm. asking for suggestions and then sappho comes up there that's so cool i think that you know one thing that's really interesting is that we're looking at her poems and I'm, I'm approaching it as a lesbian, as a poet, as an, as an English professor, but she makes a lot of references to different myths that I don't really understand what she's talking about. So maybe we'll have some questions for you too, Liv. Perfect. That's, that was basically my whole English degree, not Sappho specific, but I did a double major in English and classics and every English class I was in, all my friends would be like, okay, well, there's another classics <laughs> reference. Like, Liv, can you help us? Help us. Wow. It was the most convenient double major to do because it, it does come up so much in, I would say, all of poetry, not not so far beyond ancient oh, yeah. Greek poetry. Oh, you know? yeah. Yes, yeah. for sure. I think one of the things that's really interesting about what, were you, what you were talking about before, too, is the misconstruing Sappho as a myth, because mm-hmm. we talk a lot about that on the show of Sappho was a real person, but there also is this mm-hmm. retelling of her story mm-hmm. constantly mm-hmm. throughout history by different people rewriting mm-hmm. her mm-hmm. to where there is Sappho 
the real person. And also there sort of is Sappho, the myth. Totally. Right, Elise? Yes. She's been mythologized in really interesting ways. Um, I like, I guess I just said like lowercase m mythologized or whatever, like, but I mean, you, you could take everything from like Plato calling her the 10th muse um, to the different, you know, kind of alternate stories that different uh, Greek playwrights wrote about her to try to account for her woman loving womanness without, uh, you know, being being too okay with it. <laughs> they found ways of getting around so many things back then. <laughs> they sure did. Yeah. <laughs> well, even I, I have read a number of Ovid's heroides, but somehow I had forgotten mm. that Sappho was one of them, which that's very interesting. And I actually should have just read that before this episode. Maybe I will before I release it. Um, but I think that's so interesting because Ovid's heroides are they are myths. They're mythological women. Yep. And he's written letters from them to their mythological lovers. And yet Sappho is one. Yeah, with Phaon. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to just hear your take on that, Liv, because like we've referenced it a few times on the show, but we don't have the kind of expertise that you have. Like, what do you think significant about that myth and Sappho being in it? Uh, well, I, I haven't read it. So the way this even came up, I, I actually learned um, because I watched the three plays that the German Street Theater in London put on virtually um, over the past few weeks. I don't know if you caught any information about that, but they did. It was amazing. So they did these three plays um, all based on Ovid's Heroides. It was called 15 Heroines. It was three plays, five stories in each one. And so they were all there was five one women, one woman shows in in each of these plays. Yes, they were incredible. It was so That's well done. So and cool. It was amazing. They were these new That's like so cool. reimaginings. And so it was all written by women and starring women. And wow. it was all done in the pandemic, too. That's why they were one women shows, I imagine, also because they were the Herodes. So it fit. Um, oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> At least it's freaking That's out. Really cool. <laughs> yeah, it was amazing. And so they did all these reimaginings. Sappho was one of the in- most interesting ones, I would say, because she was... A woman, she was interpreted in this play as a woman who was from, I feel like it was Trinidad and Tobago or something in and around there, like a very much colonized Mm. area. Um, And it was presented Mm -hmm. as if she had left her home and moved to London and fallen in love with someone who then was incredibly like overbearing and, um, and lessened her. So they also made it very much about race. Um, wow. as if a, a woman who is not white moving to London and, and making a name for herself. And so she was like a singer who had traveled the world, but was constantly feeling lesser because of London and because of this lover. And it was all around Sappho and it was fascinating. They were all different in so, in such incredible ways, but that one was particularly interesting. That's so neat. I, I can't wait to read that. <laughs> yes, you know, you really should. It was so good. Ariadne one was unbelievable. Oh, I and I could go on about it forever, but it just led me to think of Sappho in a way I haven't before, just because I haven't come across her in any way. So totally. Um, we we actually got really lucky and we, we've interviewed for the show two different playwrights who did um, one actor shows of Sappho. One of them is Jade Esteban Estrada, who out magazine um, a few years back called the first gay Latin star. And he uh, did this, this one man show called icons, the, the, his, the, the gay and lesbian history of the world. And he plays all these different characters, one of whom is uh, Sappho. And then also um, 
an Australian playwright named Jane Griffiths uh, did a one did, did a Sappho did a play called Sappho in Nine Fragments, which is where she it's a one woman show and she makes a lot out of the kind of fragmentation of Sappho. Her her work only comes to us in fragments, of course. And um, Jane made that very political around like you know Sappho has these gaps and men have filled them in this really like colonizing. Hmm lots of overtones of rape just like the ways that the ways that men and like male classicists and male historians have rewritten Sappho and written into the fragments in ways that are really oppressive it was kind of the main focus of Jane Griffith's play so it's so exciting to see that all these actors are still inspired by her you know millennia later after her after her death are, are still making art out of her art or in response to her art I think is one of the biggest exciting things to us uh, in, in research here to her to keep finding things like that I just I do love that Sappho is so relevant now. And we also talked to Tracy Walters, who related Sappho to the color purple um, mm-hmm. and even some more contemporary works where there are Sappho-like characters, like the the singer, songwriter type poet, because Sappho's, Sappho's poetry was all meant to be sung as well. So I think people know Sappho as a poet, but actually she's more of like a like a Lady Gaga of her time, kind of. Yeah, like, <laughs> like she's a pop star in her time, really. Yeah, she's like, I, to me, she's like this blend of Taylor Swift and Lady Gaga. And we have scholars on record confirming that. So it's not the craziest idea. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. My brain went to Phoebe Bridgers as an example. Oh, yeah. And then I hear Lady Gaga and I'm like, okay, like, all right. No, she's, she's sort of everything. <laughs> yeah, Phoebe Bridgers is probably more accurate. Like singing in the corner with her lyre, like all the girls are coming over and yeah, yeah. But there's also this kind of like, (laughs) like spectacle side of her that is very Gaga. Like she, we don't really know if she was just playing at like private drinking parties or like for private groups of women, or if she was playing at really huge religious festivals for, for massive crowds. We don't, we don't really know for sure, which, which is the, the true story of Sappho. But if you are a believer in the the idea that she played at these huge religious festivals with huge like dance like dance lines and choruses and all of these things, then there is that feeling of Lady Gaga. Like I mean, in in Ode in her in her fragment one, Ode to Aphrodite, she's like screaming up at Aphrodite in the sky, like "There's a girl I like and she doesn't like me back. Are you gonna do something or what?" And it's like it's like. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's very performative or something, you know, like it, it does feel like she's wearing a dress made of meat or something. <laughs> Ancient Greece is pretty cool, people. <laughs> Literally the entirety of my life now is Ancient Greece is pretty cool, people. <laughs> that, that kind of brings me back to, so what you're saying about the way people are still reimagining her and in all these mm. different ways and being inspired by her. I think that that's really true of a lot of ancient Greece right mm. now, Greek mythology specifically, but mm. of course Sappho falls into that just because of how much she has been mythologized, like you were saying. Um, just because, totally. I mean, lately it seems like more and more there are these reinterpretations of Greek myth by women for women, and I am here for it. I mean, yes. the yeah. ancient Greek mythology is such a disaster of misogyny that I just think it's time. And it seems like it really is time. And I mean, I fell into it. I didn't even realize there was like this upsurge of Greek mythology. I've just been a nerd forever. And I was like, I would like to start a podcast. I think I'll make it on Greek myths. And then I ended up mm. being part of this huge resurgence in Greek mythology. Mm. Huge. And then it being wow. all the, the centric to all these women. Like there's... um. Natalie Haynes, uh, 
wrote the book A Thousand Ships, which is the telling of the Trojan War and all the women in it from all of the women's point of view. It's one of the most beautiful books I've ever read. And she's written Pandora's Jar, too, which is nonfiction about these sort of misunderstood, misrepresented women in mythology. Um, Pat Barker has written now two different books on the women of the Trojan War. And there, it just seems to be sort of endless in a way that it they're like novelizing these these stories, but also, you know, going into the stories themselves where it is a novelization, but at the same time, deeply into the actual mythology, but sort of taken back from the men who wrote it down originally mm-hmm. and screwed it all up for us. <laughs> Mm-hmm. It's it's making me think big time about this this one Sappho fragment, fragment sixteen, where she's like doing that in in her own time about home. She's just like like trolling Homer in fragment sixteen. Um, oh my god, tell me all about it. <laughs> I'll just read you the poem. This is Diane Rayer's translation. She goes, "Some say an army of horsemen, others say foot soldiers, still others say a fleet is the finest thing on the dark earth." I say it is whatever one loves. Everyone can understand this. Consider that Helen, far surpassing the beauty of mortals, left behind the best man of all to sail away to Troy. She remembered neither daughter nor dear parents as Aphrodite led her away. Unbending mind lightly thinks, reminding me now of Anactoria gone. I would rather see her lovely step and the radiant sparkle of her face than all the war chariots in Lydia and soldiers battling in arms. Impossible to happen, human, but to pray for a share and for myself. So like there's some fragmentation in the middle and at the end, but but this poem is pretty intact. It's one of her more intact fragments. And it's like, first of all, she's just like, all these men, all these homers are like telling us that the sexiest stuff is like how men kill each other with spears and like uh, these huge armies and like imperialism and like expanding Greece. But I say it's whatever you love, which feels very feminist. And then she rewrites the Helen myth. She rewrites the Helen myth as not Helen being stolen away and starting a war, but as Helen making this choice and following Aphrodite, following love and leaving her family and going and being more beautiful than anyone in the world and then going and and leaving. And then she brings, then she's like, by the way, my girlfriend, Anactoria reminds me of Helen. So it's just all these layers <laughs> of like bad, badass <laughs> feminist stuff. And, but I, I read it as like, she's totally just like, like trolling Homer. Like, I don't know about all these armies and fleets. I think, I think love is the most important thing. It's so cool. Yeah. I love it because um, I know you had said that your audience, like, doesn't maybe doesn't know too much about Sappho. If we could talk about the fragments a little bit, Elise, because we've said, oh, her poems are in fragments, but what does that mean? Well, and actually, before you even dive into that, I, I want us to also clarify for my listeners just how long ago Sappho lived, because I think that that's really uh, important to even just what you were just saying about Homer is that Sappho was closer to Homer than she was most of the other sources we have from ancient Greece because she was in like the 600s BC totally. is that right yes she was um, born sometime around 6 630 and then uh, lived to uh, lived through 570 so that's some of the oldest we have in terms of sources we have you know Homer and Hesiod from we assume the seven or eight hundreds BC but the playwrights and everyone they don't come until I mean Aeschylus I think was in the 500s but later and then everyone else is even later than that so she's one of the oldest sources which I think connects her to Homer in a way that's important 
um, and just like understanding what time she was in and kind of the world that she was living in. Um, but then, yes, please tell me all about the fragments and how that yeah. came about. It's one. It's partially connected to how, what I feel about all of ancient Greece and how we lose everything. <laughs> oh, I can't, I can't wait to hear about that. Um, so, I mean, the, the Sappho basic for it. She's she's living in archaic Greece on the island of Lesbos. She's writing um, lyric poetry. She's one of the very first lyric poets, meaning she's writing poems on uh, songs that she's singing with a lyre. Uh, and she's performing them either at drinking parties or for private groups or for huge festivals. And she was so prolific that, uh, we, you know, scholars believe that she probably wrote around 10,000 lines of poetry, which was collected into um, the Library of Alexandria in various collections. She was also just like a star, like Greeks just knew in the aftermath of Sappho, Greeks just knew how to sing her songs. They, they just knew her greatest hits. And there's there's some story about um, this dude Solon, um, an Athenian poet who uh, heard one of Sappho's songs being sung at a symposium. And he asked the boy who was singing it to teach him how to play the song. Um, and, and the reason was so that I can learn it and then die. Like that's how, that's how much her <laughs> songs are, are, are crushing it. Right. So, so she's writing all these beautiful poems, a lot of which are about love. She's really, um, her main subject is Eros, erotic desire. And she's writing about women's lives. She's the first voice ever in the world that we have an in, individual woman's voice. Um, and she's our, our source of lyric poetry. So any any kind of Taylor Swift you're listening to today harkens back to Sappho and, and, and Sappho started that tradition. She's incredibly important. And But then the tragedy is that so much of her work was lost that all that's really left is a handful of fragments um, and like maybe 650 out of 10,000 uh, lines of poetry survive. Um, and, and only one complete poem. So everything else is these little fragments. And how, so how do we find them? There's two sources. One is if an, if an ancient um, teacher or rhetorician or author or, or something, you know, quoted her, you would, you would have a fragment left over that way. And, and, and like the, the author survived. So it could be like a grammarian trying to teach um, good, good grammar or good, um, good rhyme. And they would quote Sappho as an example. And then the other source is, on papyrus scraps that have been found in these ancient trash heaps like Oxyrhynchus in Egypt. And so people were, you know, using papyrus, which is made from the um, papyrus plant on the banks of the Nile. And they were making paper and, and kind of just keeping your regular records there, especially like, um, you know, like tax records and things like that. And then you wouldn't waste paper. Um, so if you had a copy of Sappho and you, and you didn't, you didn't need it anymore, you might start writing your taxes on the back <laughs> and then you'd throw it away and it would survive in the dry, dry, dry desert for thousands of years. And then most of Sappho's fragments were found in the late 19th century um, in the Oxyrhynchus dig. And now they're all living at, um, most of them are living at the Oxford Oxyrhynchus collection. And people are just kind of combing their way through those fragments and finding Sappho, recognizing like, oh, hey, this looks like Aeolic Greek. Oh, shit, this looks like the time Sappho was alive. Oh, my God, there's someone writing about Eros. It's probably Sappho. So there's still lots of Sappho out there to discover. And as recently as... Um, 2004, 2014, new new Sappho fragments have been found, um, all of which we get into on the podcast. But yeah, that's the that's the basics of Sappho. I'm curious, like what you were going to say, Liv, about how it like gets you excited about like ancient Greece in general. Well, so th my the thing I talk about all of the time is that w there's so much we simply don't have. Which Sappho is such a good example of that. Like mm. like you all of what you were just saying, we just 
don't have it. It mm. was written down, but it just didn't survive. And I don't know if this is the case for Sappho, but I do want to say, and this is one of my fun facts, is that a lot of times we have fragments of poets or playwrights mm. um, because of the papyrus that you mentioned, but then it was reused and mummified small animals. It was used to mummify small yes. animals. And then once yes. you find those small animals and then they find, like they found a lot of, I think Euripides fragments from mummified um, crocodiles, tiny, like baby crocodiles. Mm. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. It's so cool. There has been some, I think there have been some found on the, on the crocodile uh, uh, sarcophagi, but, but more controversially, there have been some Sappho uh, fragments found on uh, human mummy cartonage. And so this is something we get into on the very next couple episodes of our podcast is this controversy around like finding a mummy mask, dipping it into like a warm water solution that kind of, because because mummy masks are, are basically paper mache. They're made out of all these papyrus fragments, uh, scraps that were re recycled. And so if you dunk one of these things in the water, you can, you can dilute it enough that the, the scraps come off and you might find some Sappho on these mummy masks. But you're destroying an, an artifact in the process that was someone's burial rights that belonged to someone's. It's like, you know, like it would be like 2000 years from now, like somebody comes in and like decomposes my grandmother's coffin just for in the hopes of finding some Taylor Swift. It's very unethical, <laughs> right? It's, it's not a good practice. It kind of sucks. So, there, so and then there and then there's even been some controversy with Sappho around like. Well, were these poems found in in a, like a looting situation during like the you know the the wars in Iraq or Afghanistan? Like were these were these um, poems looted? Did we send children down into tombs in dangerous situations to like find these fragments? There's tons of like ethical concerns around how we're finding Sappho and any any other of these uh, ancient poets. Fascinating. <laughs> Have you guys heard of um, the poet Enhedwana? No. Mm -mm. So she is actually the oldest poet that we have on record. Um, she predates Sappho by like 1500 years. What? She's Mesopotamian. It's very fascinating. Yeah. Oh my God. I've never heard of her. She sounds awesome. She, it's, she's really cool. I've, I've been meaning to try to find like an actual translation. I've stumbled upon her in a couple of places. And I actually spoke to um, Bethany Hughes recently because she wrote a book about Aphrodite. Uh, and and she was mentioning Ed Hedwana as well. And I now I'm just so motivated to to actually find her stuff but because she wasn't greek she's not translated that often it's hard to find her language was much mm. older um and harder to translate because of it and there's so much you know western um supremacy that that comes yeah. from like with why we have so much more of oh. of greek anything than anywhere else which is you know dark as hell mm. um but it it leads to it's really hard to to find stuff like that 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 isn't greek With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, 
Snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snag a Job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. With AT&T in-car Wi-Fi, elevate your adventure by transforming your vehicle into a reliable Wi-Fi hotspot. Connect up to 10 devices up to 50 feet away from your vehicle, making it ideal for camping and road trips. Don't miss out on the fun. Embark on your next adventure today. Visit att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi to check if you're eligible for a free trial. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Can you tell me a bit about what, I mean, Sappho wrote about Eros, eroticism and erotic love and everything, but she also wrote about specific girlfriends. Oh, yes. We love the girlfriends. We actually, so (laughs) this is the most ridiculous thing ever, but she has three girlfriends. Your TikTok? Yes, our TikTok. (laughs) (laughs) She has three girlfriends that she writes about, Attis. Anactoria and Anactoria was in one of the fragments that Elise read earlier, um, and Gogola. And we wrote we wrote a song to what fragment was it that we did for that? To fragment 94. 94. Um, where 94. we basically were all three of Sappho's girlfriends singing to Sappho. <laughs> and it was so ridiculous. But we do have records of in her poems of her speaking about three different girlfriends. So when anyone, because there are some historians who would like to claim Sappho's heterosexuality, uh, when, when anyone tries to do that, there is a lot of evidence in her poems about her women loving women-ness, as Elise said. <laughs> yeah. It gets, it gets, it gets pretty almost like um outrageous like so in in fragment 94 which is the one that we put on togas and danced around and lip you know like (laughs) lip synced on tiktok which was so fun there's a it's a poem about getting all like oiled up for sex right like there's yes anointing your love with oils and yeah yeah and like laying down on the bed and there's a line that that is you know you you laid on a soft bed and quenched your desire and there is, there's at least one male scholar who interprets that line as meaning you took a nap. Yeah, quenched your desires for sleep, <laughs> like literal sleep. But it's like yeah, sure. if someone said like, oh, I want to sleep with you. And I'm, and you're like, oh, you just want to go to bed. Like you want to <laughs> just take a nap together. Like that's what they're basically saying. So yeah, I mean, pronouns have been changed in Sappho's poems to to kind of conceal that they're uh, about women written by women. There's um, 
people will say, well, this isn't really Sappho. It's she's writing in a in a persona. She's writing in the persona of a man. But then in the middle of the poem, she'll say, I Sappho. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so it's very, <laughs> yeah, so it's a pretty shaky argument that she did not, in fact, um, love women. Of course, we, we have record that she had a daughter and being an upper class aristocratic woman, she probably would have been married um, to a man. Uh, but that doesn't really change what she's writing about in the poems, which is that she she does spend quite a bit of her time hanging out with women um, in really intimate, erotic ways and then recounting, you know, if, if you believe she's writing these poems autobiographically, which which I very much do, then uh, that she's recounting this beautiful, beautiful conception of Eros in her poems. So, yeah, you've got the girlfriends. You've got lots about Eros. Um, you've got some mentions of Helen. You've got quite a few references to Aphrodite. That's her main favorite god, you know, being a big fan of Eros, of course. And then there's a poem I wanted to ask you about, Liv, which is there's this old age poem she has, which is about Titanus, Titanus, Titan. How do you say his name? And and Eos, the goddess of dawn. Eos, yeah, Eos is the goddess of the dawn. Um, how do you spell the other one? T i t h o n o s. There's some myth involving oh. eternal life without eternal youth. Ooh. In in the poem, um, I was like trying to like just crash course myself on Wikipedia about this last night in preparation for our chat, but. The, the idea just being that, like, so Sappho's writing this, this fragment, 58, about how it sucks to get old. I guess, again, the myth, like, they got, the goddess of dawn fell in love with a mortal and asked Zeus to give him eternal life, but she forgot to ask him to give him eternal youth. So Tythonus, Tythonus, he kind of, perpe- he's, like, locked in a room somewhere, perpetually getting older and older and older, and he has lost all his memories, and his skin is, like, falling off of his bones, and he's ancient, and... Um, yeah. And, and so Sappho uses that in her poem about like, man, my knees hurt. I, <laughs> I'm getting so old. My hair's getting gray. Um, so she's so cute. Like she just like, you know, kind of like references all of these like religious things all the time in her poems and all these mythical things that are, um, it's really, it's really neat to kind of see these references pop up again and again in her work. Well, the thing about them is, you know, in ancient Greece, it, it was just how they lived especially back then when Mm. we're talking as far back as Sappho is it's Hmm. just that mythology wasn't mythology and it wasn't a religion it was just life so it was like yeah I'm feeling old so I mean I think Geras is the god of old age and so they would just like call Mm. out to him or even (laughs) when you were saying Eos dawn like when you're talking about the sun coming up you are saying well there is Eos they call wow. her Rosy Finger Dawn. Like wow. it's just wow. well, there's Rosy Finger Dawn. She's you know stretching up over us. Like it was just That's the amazing. light. It was That's the amazing. way life was. You're, yeah. It. It's it's just fascinating, and, and that's obviously why I'm so deeply obsessed with it all. But it, it was just like, of course, yeah. You're just you're just singing to those people because that's what you did. It's like, mm. um, I don't know. Well, it, it may be too early even for maybe this but erato is the 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 muse of erotic poetry Mm. and so i wonder if if that appears in any of sappho but it's sort of she's so she's from so long or or so far back um that the mythology wasn't standardized either so not everybody um based on their region like believed the same thing or had all the same gods or especially the muses the muses are kind of a funny funny group with that 
Yeah, she and Lesbos is so far too. I find that fascinating. She gives a lot of shout outs to Aphrodite, and she does. I'm, it's funny that you mentioned the rosy finger dog because right here, in, I'm looking at again Diane Rayer's translation of Sappho's fragment 58, and she goes, um, "My spirit has grown heavy, knees buckle that once could dance light as fawns. I often groan, but what can I do? Impossible for humans not to age." And then she says. For they say rosy-armed Dawn, in love, went to the ends of Earth holding <laughs> Titanus, beautiful and young. But in time, gray old age seized even him with an immortal wife. And I just love the ca- kind of casual reference to like, well, I mean, even this guy who married a freaking goddess couldn't help but get old. Like, there's no way out of this. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm just like doomed to get really old. Even though I'm Sappho, you know, <laughs> even Sappho has to age. <laughs> we read this really great, um, the intro to this book called Sappho's Liar, which is all about the different archaic lyric and, and women poets of ancient Greece um, by Diane Rare. And in the intro, I, I really wanted to know your take on this list because in the intro, um, uh, who's writing the forward? Someone, some classicist is writing the forward. W.R. Johnson. And he's talking about like the kinds of people the ancient Greeks were. And he was talking about how they would see us today as like kind of barbaric because we're so stupid. Like we don't know how to just, we don't all just know how to sing and recite poetry and debate and like, and, and we don't have these like beautiful bodies that are like completely like, you know, in, in beautiful shape. And like, they would just kind of see us as slaves because we only know how to do one thing. And we're, and we're just like have like specialized interests. So they, they would see that as like really disappointing. Yeah, I mean, we are. We are barbaric. But what actually that leads me to my favorite fun fact that I tell everyone is the word barbaric and barbarism comes from the ancient Greek. And it originally just meant people who didn't speak Greek. (laughs) So we all are. At least I am. I can't can't speak Greek. (laughs) We are all barbarians. (laughs) Wow. So we've like we've taken that word to now mean something bad and they did they did mean it some they meant it bad but they meant it bad mm-hmm. you know in a xenophobic way not in mm-hmm. a um like oh violent way like they they were just xenophobic like everyone <laughs> um especially everyone in the western world but yeah so they just wow. They thought very poorly of people who didn't speak Greek and they called them barbarians and, and they viewed them that way. Um, and it, it's it comes up in a few specific myths, too, where they would like in they would um, make certain particularly violent mm. characters like, from places that weren't Greece. Like they thought quite poorly of people from Thrace <laughs> often and they were not maybe not poorly, but they were always like violent and war torn and there's there's just some darkness associated with that because they weren't greek and um all the dark stories that go along with medea um are because she uh was meant to be not greek and she was meant to be a barbarian as well wow i never knew that it's one of my most favorite facts (laughs) (laughs) i can see why (laughs) i feel like this is just it's a fragmented conversation we're having, but it's fascinating. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> it's very Sappho-like. Totally. So so what are what is some of the most fun things you've covered on the podcast? Um, like have you learned any particularly exciting facts or and that you wanna impart? We've learned a lot of very interesting facts. One of my favorite ones was when we talked to Diane Rayer, who we've mentioned a million times because she's one of the 
best Sappho translators out there. Um, but we talked to her about trans. I'm ordering her books right now. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So good. And she's also just so passionate about Sappho. When you talk to her, I almost cried when we talked to her because she was so eloquent about the impact that Sappho had on her and her life's work. It was really beautiful. Um, but one of the things that I thought was really interesting was one of the fragments, which Elise sort of alluded to earlier, um, there is one word that's a gerund in it. And so some people, pretty much before Diane, have translated that phrase as for love of a boy, because the word means, um, it just means child in Greece, in Greek. It just means like a young person. But there was a gerund that she found that had uh, a feminine connotation. And so she used the feminine gerund to turn it into for love for a girl. And I just thought it was so interesting that that one word can change everything and just how important the translation is from bringing, obviously, fragments to somebody who can actually translate Greece and then taking that translation. And so how much Sappho has, we know has changed over time because of how people translate her, but also how, like, if you do translate her correctly, it's super gay and I love it. <laughs> that's all. Well, but that's yeah. the thing about, about, everything from ancient Greece is that translations are so subjective they're mm -hmm. so subjective and it, it just mm -hmm. depends kind of on mm -hmm. the thoughts and feelings of the person translating it like I know um the there's a lot of instances of old translations of Homer where the women are are often depicted as like the the word is you that's translated in, into English is like slut or something of the like, but really it was just like some variation on the the word for woman. Like yep. it, it was, yeah. Oh so God. it's, it's just like this sort of, <laughs> it's just insane prejudice and misogyny. And then we're like, yes. we learn this the whole time yeah. or even, I mean, I'm constantly referring to however many different translations I can find of something because my biggest thing in the podcast is understanding, um, consent or typically complete lack thereof in Greek mythology, but because everything we have was written down by men, they wouldn't necessarily actually phrase mm -hmm. it like the way that it was believed or the way that it was believed by the women in the world. And, mm -hmm. and often it's like, you can totally. just assume for the most part that when it comes to the gods, like there was no consent, but the, men writing the story didn't yeah. care so they didn't write it down like that or if they did and it was you know subtle and then it wasn't translated as such and there's just there's so many different ways you can understand something and I I tend to try to find translations by women whenever I can um mm -hmm. because yeah it makes a yeah. world of difference but yeah it just like is so fascinating really. to me because obviously it's like this ancient game of telephone and we're and we're getting the the final answer through the lens of so many different people and like you said also a lot of men and so it's really been interesting to get yeah. as many perspectives as we can from women as well yeah and like we have we've learned a lot about it's it's very disappointing right that we only have 600 fragments left out of 10,000 lines of poetry but at the same time 
it's miraculous that we have even that. It's miraculous that we have even that because, I mean, it's it's two millennia old, so it's like you know massively old, and it's been found in in the desert and in trash heaps. But also, like, the only reason that it would have survived long enough to even be written down the way it was was that people really loved it, even though at the time lyric poetry was kind of not really the thing. It wasn't as great as epic poetry. People weren't really as into it as epic poetry. And women poets, I mean, it was like a woman writing was like a dog walking on its back legs. Like it, it was just <laughs> insane. So if you were like, you know, if you were like a teacher in classical Greek um, or in Rome, you wouldn't teach a woman poet, you know, and like you wouldn't do that because, it, and she was pagan, right? So once Christianity starts spreading, um, her work is getting burned. Like, and and so the reason her work's getting burned, right? At like, um, in like the, the medieval times when Christianity is spreading, is not so much that it's sexual because like we know that like um you know like Gregory the 7th didn't burn the the pornographic poems of Marshall so it wasn't that there was sex in it it's that it was women writing and that it was women writing about loving other women and erotic poetry is far more threatening to the order it's far more radical than than pornographic poetry because erotic poets are singing about the soul and they're singing about the reverence of of the self and the other and like and the reverence of desire and hope and joy and um all these things are much more transcendent than than you know just like sex and, and like pornographic descriptions like you'd have in Marshall or even Catullus. So I, I think that's really interesting to like keep reading about how important and radical her work is and and was and has been and, and how it's so miraculous that it survived, even in the form that we have today. Yeah, I that's I mean everything that we have is it's so interesting how it survived. That's it's always such a saga for how much work <laughs> it took for something to survive to where we have it now. Cause so much, I mean, between Christianity and then just time, it, it it's a real mess of trying to keep pagan writings <laughs> still around. <laughs> Christianity and time, the most difficult things to fight against. <laughs> I have a, I have another fun fact that like ties into something that like this really interesting, like this feels like a historical Easter egg, but we, we just have so much bias in, our, in the translations. And so the first woman to edit Sappho is in 1937. It takes that <laughs> long, right? Um, and her name, she's an Italian papyrologist. And guess what her name is? It's Medea Norsa. Wow. Oh, that's just fun. I like that. Elise, do you want to talk a little bit too about the the actual myth of Sappho, like what types of myths were being perpetuated about her after her death? Ooh. So Ovid writes the Heroides, he's a Roman poet, and he um, he writes in there that Sappho fell in love with with Phaon, the mythological fairy, um, fairy boat driver, captain. I don't know what we call fairy boat people, but he's just a ferryman. Ferryman, that, that's the word. Yeah. Oh my God, I'm so tired. Ferryman. <laughs> Uh, so she she falls in love with him right Uh, and she falls in love with him so hard that when he rejects her because according to Ovid Sappho was short dark that's that's the word he uses and ugly Um, and so when when Phaon rejects Sappho she throws herself off a cliff to her death and that's that's one of the myths of Sappho totally I mean it's like Ovid made it up right he wrote it down in a in, in the Herodotus and so there's also just like um, there's Plato calling her the tenth muse. So there's this kind of like mythology of her being this incredibly gifted poet, um, akin to the gods. 
And then there's just the the there's this two Sappho's idea where the 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 classical Greeks who come after Sappho and the Romans they can't get it in their heads that someone who wrote such beautiful poetry would also have had three girlfriends and like you know then because <laughs> because like we start getting really anxious about you know gay stuff as as time goes on and so they they made up this <laughs> <laughs> never heard of it just wait for, listen to what they did this is the craziest thing they're like okay 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 here's 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 what we think happened there were two sapphos okay first sappho was the legendary poet 10th muse um, the poetess, this this incredible like cultural figure whose 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 face we've put on money because she's like a, a cultural icon and we love her. Sappho number two was a lesbian whore, but she wasn't just like she slept with women, but she also like gave really good blowjobs and she would just like put it out there for anybody. And Sappho, the other Sappho is this incredible disreputable woman. That was their answer. That sounds yeah, that sounds about like ancient Greece. Yeah, <laughs> they made <laughs> they made they made plays about her where she was like a stock figure in in classical um, comedies. She was she was the laughing stock like slut to the point where the island of Lesbos became uh, became synonymous with folks who give good blowjobs. That was how much of a stock cliche she became as this slut because of this anxiety around her just writing sexy poems about girls. Like it's it's actually crazy. Yeah. It's wild. Like it's like thinking about like Sappho being in high school and she's like a high school <laughs> yeah. lesbian and people are like, we can't handle this and they start <laughs> rumors about her. It's too much. Yeah, being being a like slutty, you know, like giver of blowjobs. Like they they heterosexualize her and they call her ugly and it's like all of this at once just to try to mitigate this anxiety that she was writing beautiful poems about loving yeah. women. Like it's just it was too much. There's a lot of bending over backwards to try to to make people acceptable yeah. to to any of those nonsensical ideals they had at any given time. <laughs> totally. Totally. Yeah. And I think I mean I think that's why we don't really learn too much about Sappho in history classes. Like I I learned all about Homer but didn't learn about Sappho and I think it's because like she's too controversial I think even now people are like, oh, well, how, how will we teach children this? You know, when it's like, she's just, she's a pretty amazing historical figure yet. We're not learning about her. She's, she's great for high schoolers because her most famous fragment is fragment 31. And it just describes my entire four-year high school experience, like to a T. I mean, maybe it's just because I was like a closeted young lesbian, but in fragment 31, she describes the physical agony that is watching the girl she likes talking to a guy and she can't like the the jealousy and the and the erotic desire that she's feeling is causing is is is, is having a catastrophic impact on her physical body like she's melting her her she's sweating and like her there's like a rushing sound in her ears and she's going blind and she like, <laughs> she feels like she's she's shaking she's having a seizure she's so upset by watching this <laughs> by watching this girl talk to this guy and i'm like yeah i i, I got that like oh, hashtag yeah. same hashtag same <laughs> I also just want to use this as a way to get people to listen to you. So if there's anything. I mean, I I think we've done a pretty good conversation about who she was, what's interesting about her. But what I would what I would say is like the the, the reason to listen to Sweet Bitter is that if you are into the kind of ancient Greek things and, and into the myths and into all of that, you're going to get a lot of that. And we just um, 
we're just learning so much. We've, we've talked to scholars from around the world. We are talking to people in French. We're talking to Australian papyrologists and um, American performance artists and playwrights and musicians and writers and translators and um, everything in between. And we've just, we've learned so much about, you know, translation and uh, what, what ancient Lesbos was like, what it was like to be, you know, like what, what their norms around sexuality were in archaic Greece and archaic Lesbos. We've learned about a um, a legal scandal involving some theft of papyri from the Oxford collection by allegedly an Oxford uh, professor. Ooh, yeah, the scandal is going to be a good one. That's it's coming. Uh, yeah, and then we've learned about just like what Sappho's resonance is today with with things like the color purple or um, with even like musicians today who are continue to be inspired by her work. So there's it's pretty far ranging. Um, material and we we've, we've just talked to some really generous interesting people would be my my last like gesture of plugging the podcast <laughs> yeah so how did you how did you guys get so deep into that like it sounds like you I mean your your podcast is pretty new and then you I, I'm more imp- I'm just impressed and jealous of your your drive and oh. <laughs> your ability to talk to so many people so quickly how that's so incredible it sounds like you've got such exciting stuff coming Yes. Um, in terms of how we got started, I have my, I've had my own podcast for the past four years. It's called Les Hangout. Um, so I was in the podcasting world for a bit. So recording and all that kind of stuff, that's my job. So I love doing the audio stuff. Lisa, who's our producer, heard Elise on another podcast. It's called Buffering the Vampire Slayer, all about Buffy. <laughs> um yeah, so Elise was on there to talk about Sappho, and Lisa heard her, and I think had the thought that I think most people will have when they hear this episode of, why have I never heard about Sappho before, or why have I barely heard about Sappho, and I don't know enough, and she just wanted to learn more, and so she pulled us all together, we worked for a very long time compiling the actual interviews before we put together the podcast itself. We probably got started in our pre-production in March and then we launched in October. So we've been talking to people for months before we even released our first episode. Um, And we just, I mean, I think we just shot our shot. We picked the people we thought would be really cool to talk to and we just emailed them and I think because Sappho is number one so cool and number two not talked about enough anyone who loves Sappho that we reached out to was so happy to talk to us because they wanted to share this information and then as we're you know compiling all this stuff we realized there really is a lot of material here so we're planning an eight episode series I think we might actually have more episodes uh, because we have so much content. Um, But I would say like Lisa as our producer really pulled us together and kept us motivated. And Elise as a professor herself and a poet had the research down. So I think the three of us kept each other moving forward, which has been a really nice team. Yeah, we have very different um, skill sets and experience and background, but we work really great together. And it's just, you know, what do you, what do you, like, it doesn't feel like work to me reading Sappho's poems or reading articles about her or learning about her and then, and then getting to talk to these really generous um, sources who 
have dedicated their lives, like in, especially in like Diane's case, dedicated her life to translating this this woman's work and bringing it to the public. So it, um, we're just glad that we can then popularize it and make it more um, accessible, I guess, to a non-academic audience or a non-historic audience, which is exactly what you're doing with your awesome podcast too, Liv. So you know all about that. Thank you. Yeah. No, I mean, that's, that's so, that's so incredible. I'm just, uh, I'm in awe that you were so prepared and did so much uh, work leading up. It's one of those things I never, I never do anything ahead of time in my podcast and I deeply <laughs> wish I did. I'm just uh, <laughs> very impressed, but that's so exciting that you got to talk to so many people and learn so much about this person. I'm so glad I I found your guys's podcast and, and asked to have Thanks. you on here today. I've learned so much too. Right back at you. Right back at you. I'm starting to make my way through like your back catalog and it's just awesome stuff. I'm learning so much. My mind is blown by all these things that um, are so like old, but also so feel so contemporary at the same time. Oh God, don't they? That's my favorite. They're the best. So, well, then thank you. Thank you both for for coming on here today. Um, But most importantly, where can everyone listen to your podcast? Yes, you can find Sweet Bitter anywhere you get your podcast. You're going to want to look up Sweet Bitter, a Sappho podcast. And if you look up all of those words, you will definitely find us. Easiest way to find us is at sweetbitterpodcast.com. And that has all of our links as well. And all of our social media handles are at sweetbitterpod. Oh, also, I feel like we barely even mentioned this. So I just need to... Um, we do songs every episode, which is really fun. So we write original songs. Well, I'm like, they're original, but they're based on Sappho fragments. So we write the melodies, but we are using the lyrics of Sappho to write a new song in a different contemporary genre every week. And that's been really fun. We've done disco so far, which was my favorite. We've done like a pop pop type song. We've done jazz. We've got some country coming up. We've got power ballads. We got it all. It's going to be great. <laughs> that is so much fun. I'm very glad you remembered <laughs> to mention it. What an extra exciting bit. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. But I'm so I'm a musician and Lisa is also a singer and so is Elise. Like Elise is in a band as well. So we were just like, we have to do this. Like, we can't make this podcast and not make music together. It's cool to it's cool to get to sing her work because that's how it was intended to be heard. And so anytime that you are singing Sappho or listening to a, a musical version of Sappho, you're although we don't know the melodies of, of what her songs would have actually sounded like, just experiencing them with with music to them, I think, is closer to to what they would have felt like um twenty five hundred years ago. And and so that, that it's really a fun thing that we get to do. Yeah, it's so important given that's that's exactly how, how she would have done it back yeah. then. Yeah. Not necessarily as a power ballad or country. <laughs> yeah, not necessarily the genre. But, but. but it like felt it felt like contemporary to her time, right? Like her to her people, it felt like pop. It felt like, you know, the top 40 or whatever. Mm-hmm. So you're we're capturing the like vibe of it feeling very new and um yeah, and contemporary, which which I love because it 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 does sound pretty stinking old when you when you hear reenactments of people trying to sing an Aeolic Greek on the lyre. You're like, uh, what is this? also I love like we've <laughs> we did one where it's a fragment and it basically ends like the fragment ends the actual poem and it sort of leaves you hanging. And so the last song we did leaves you hanging completely. 
And it's just like the stupidest Sappho <laughs> joke that really like sent me over the edge. <laughs> All right. Well, now we've been chatting half nonsense and half incredible <laughs> Sappho stuff for over an hour. So I will let you both go. But thank you so much for coming on here. Oh, man. Liv, thanks Great. so much thank for having so us. Much. Yeah, it was so nice to get to meet you. And um, I hope that someday we can meet in person and have a beer and talk about Sappho. And I would absolutely love that. Ugh, nerds, thank you all for listening to that. This was one of the greatest conversations I've had for this podcast, and also one I'd just been meaning to have forever. I really wanted to know more about Sappho, and so when this opportunity came up, I jumped at it. Seriously, I saw there was a new Sappho podcast and sent them a DM within 30 seconds. I just think it's so perfect. I hope you loved Sappho as much as she deserves to be loved. I mean, a woman that long ago who was that famous for writing poetry in ancient Greece, it's fucking badass. And then, of course, talking with Ellie and Elise was incredibly fun, as you just heard, because half of it was just us getting along super well. It was really fun. I hope you had as much fun as we did. Please make sure you listen to the Sweet Bitter podcast. Uh, I'm going to be on there uh, just in a couple of days from when this episode airs, talking all about Aphrodite. And if you can believe it, that conversation was even more fun than this one. So please subscribe to the Sweet Bitter podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. You will not regret it. Thank you all for listening. I am Liv and I love this shit. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring with access to over 6 million active hourly workers. Snag a job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand, temp to hire part time or full time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah. Snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. With AT&T in-car Wi-Fi, elevate your adventure by transforming your vehicle into a reliable Wi-Fi hotspot. Connect up to 10 devices up to 50 feet away from your vehicle, making it ideal for camping and road trips. Don't miss out on the fun. Embark on your next adventure today. Visit att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi to check if you're eligible for a free trial.
Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required.